Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Happy New Year. We're actually recording an episode for January in January. Yep. Have you had a nice week or two or so since we last spoke? Yeah, I had a nice two weeks. Uh, yes, a couple of weeks. Yeah, I had a nice two weeks off uh, off work, doing Christmassy and New Year's and relaxing stuff. So how about you? Same, same. Nice. I mean, good time with family. Um, got a little bit of gaming in um, and... Uh, yeah, I'm actually ready to get back into the swing of things with the new year. And work. Oh, what ga- since this episode may well be short, what gaming have you done? I did. I ran Aris um, before Christmas, and then on the 30th of December, we did one last episode of, um, or one last session rather, of Castles and Crusades Kingmaker. And we're just getting up to the point where we've got just a few. Um, we probably have two or three sessions left in the first book. And things oh, wow. are things are starting to gather momentum, and it's been it's been good. So that will be uh, we'll pick that up this Saturday. How about you? Did you get anything done in your two weeks or so? Uh, we recorded just before I did. So I, I did my outgunned session. So at some point, I could actually review outgunned and talked about some of the books for that. I have all the books for that now as well. Um, so I did my Christmas outgunned session, which was very sort of die hard, lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. It was it was an eighties action movie thing set at Christmas with a with a system that is designed for eight to doing action movies um and i had christmas tracks for every single scene so i had like 17 scenes and 17 christmas tracks so it was it was great we really enjoyed that um yeah we played a quite a few board games the last few days uh so that's been good got the gi joe deck building games we playing that the other day and what else we play and then we're playing this thing called this indiana jones cryptic it's by funko games it's like one of those kind of puzzle solving escape room type things like unlock or exit. But it had some really, really cool. The, the main cool bit is you have this thing where you have a you have like a picture and you have a grit, like a thing you can draw on, like a see-through mm-hmm. transparent thing you can draw on. And then you separate them and you've got to try and draw the correct path when they're not overlaid on each other by kind of looking at it and trying to draw it. Mm-hmm. So you do it for things like like the one we did yesterday when we did Temple of Doom. You have to like trace the mine path. And then you have to do whip things off to try and hit the bad guys, and it's really it's, it's really good fun because you're kind of doing it. Like one of the one of the ones from uh, Raiders was like you're you're tracing the path of Indiana Jones on his horse, and you've got to like huh. hit all of the convoy things when you're chasing them. And you've got to jump over these canyons. Uh, so that's a really clever thing. I haven't seen that in other stuff. A lot of them, you know, you have solving puzzle things are really good. Um, yeah. And I had this. I think I have to show you a photo of it where when you're doing the map room uh from from raiders um you actually have to sort of like construct like put the box up on one side put this picture up and then get this staff with the the headset of ra on top of it and then shine a light through it so the light goes through this little pin prick and then through this other thing and then illuminates on the picture where the thing is and it was just really cool (laughs) so got this photo it's like oh my god it's like doing raiders my favorite being raiders um yeah so it's it's I've, we've played a lot of other puzzle things like that, but they're usually kind of like really, you know, either the puzzles are so left field, you can't work them out or yeah. you just feel like you're guessing 
Um, and in this one, it was actually things that you were really well thought out puzzles and then a lot of sort of skill-based drawing things and then other puzzly things where you're trying to build things together. So yeah, it's been really good fun. As if the, cool. the only downside is, is that we've only got one more to do and then we're finished. But there's a Star Trek one as well. So I, uh, I was like, oh, we could do a Star Trek. They were like, oh, I was like, yeah, but we're really enjoying this. So it'll be worth it. So, um, so yeah, that's the, some of the gaming I've done. Very good. It's been good. Very good. Well, now let's move on to our episode. That's good stuff. Um, we, uh, we are, this year, one of the things that we had talked about in our, our, our plans for world domination for 2024 is that we are going to put out some how-tos, short how-to uh, episodes as bonus episodes that are primarily for the YouTube channel, but I'm also going to put out as bonus episodes on the audio podcast. So whether you're watching us or listening to us, the, the actual content of these episodes will be the same. Those will put out as bonus episodes regularly, but not on the regular Wednesdays. What we decided to do though with this first one is do this first one. It's going to be relatively short, a lot shorter than our regular episodes to spotlight it to um, regular listeners and know that in the future, you will, if you subscribe to the podcast, you will get these as bonus episodes. And if you look on YouTube, uh, there is a, there will be a playlist for how to 2D20. And we're going to be adding a bunch of these short videos, short, uh, you know, and as well as podcast episodes. The whole point of these is to make sure people understand how to run, how to play the different aspects of the the game system in general but also um in some of the specific properties hopefully at least my thought is that these are the kinds of things that if you have players who are going ah maybe i will i maybe i blah blah blah, blah say listen listen to this for 15 minutes watch this for 15 minutes you now understand how the meta currencies work or in this case today's episode you understand how the core mechanic and its different pieces and parts work come to the table, let's play this great game and see what fun we can have. That's our goal. So what we're going to talk about today is... Uh, the basic mechanic, how to, how to do a roll in 2D20. Yep, how to do a roll and some of the different um, dimensions of it uh, in 2D20. So most basically, what is the basic, what is the most core mechanic in 2D20 and how does a player or GM do it? So this, this is the basic role. It literally is this summit. You take two D20, so two 20-sided dice, um, and you have a target number, which we'll discuss in a minute how you go. So you have a target number, which is obviously between 1 and 20, usually in the region of, you know, 11 to 15. Yeah. Usually that's where your target number Low to mid-teens, usually. Okay, but you take your two dice and you roll against that target number. For each dice that comes up equal to or less than that target number, so it's a roll under, not a roll over. For each dice that comes equal to or under, you score a success. You, you then take that amount of successes. You roll two dice, you can get none or one or two successes. And then you compare that to a difficulty. So a basic difficulty would be one success. So the default in, in pretty much all the rules is one, difficulty one. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. That's, that's the basic roll. You roll two dice. You're looking for a number which is on your character sheet. This isn't a number your GM's told you. It'll be on your character sheet. And if your dice are equal to or under that, you get a success. And then what the GM will have told you is it's difficulty one, two, three, four, five. And that's the number of successes or more that you need to roll in total to be successful. And that's it. So come back for the next episode. Yeah, no, really. The, the wonderful thing about this, and, and I, again, I think that it's roll under, it's roll at or beneath. 
So you want to roll low on those 20s, and you're not adding the numbers together. So the basic pool is two dice, hence the name 2d20. It's two dice, and you, you, uh, you roll them both, but you do not add them together. Each of them generates its own roll. Now, difficulty, like you said, difficulty is, is typically, basically it's one to five. There are instances where there are difficulty zero tasks. We could talk about that at some other point. I don't really think that's immediately relevant to the, how the core mechanic works. So the nice thing about this is that you as a player have all the goods you need to generate your target number on your character sheet. The only thing that the GM needs to tell you is the difficulty, and that's just the number of successes you have to roll. The GM is going to change that difficulty up or down based on the situation, based on the context around the situation. So the default is usually one in most of the games. So the GM has, uh, has a scale. And there are some descriptive details that provided for the GM to give the GM some guidance as to like, well, what's, what's the difference between a difficulty one and difficulty two? What's the difference difficulty three, four, five? So the div GM will adjust that and tells you that number. And that's it. Now you also have on here, so changes in difficulty, that's pretty straightforward. That's totally on the GM side. What about changes in target number? Can the, can the target number change on the player side? Yeah, so the target number... The reason we can't go to target number in huge amounts of detail is the target number is based on the different systems. Target number is usually an attribute plus a skill. Now, that varies from mm -hmm. 2d20 property to 2d20 property. But generally, your target number is a set number. So when you're looking at it, if you're, let's say you're shooting someone, you will have a shooting skill maybe and a shooting stat, and you'll add those two together. Or more likely, you've already got it written on your character sheet. So you know to look at that number and you roll against that number. If it's something like Star Trek, then where it's always on the fly, it's still relatively easy. It might mm -hmm. be you're taking one attribute and then you're adding to that your discipline, which is only a number from one to five. So mm -hmm. you're adding like, you know, 10 to three. Oh, it's 30. So it's not right. hard maths. But most of the time, these numbers are already pre-calculated and you can just look on your character sheet. You know what you're rolling against and you roll against that TN. So the TN isn't changing. It's not like games where we're adding or subtracting literally you are looking at a nice easy number to, to roll against and the gm is telling you a difficulty which is between zero and five yeah as That's... a matter of fact that the only the only change is i mean well the the primary change is of the difficulty itself which is which is gm provided if yeah. your agility is nine and your shooting is four that's a 13. Nothing is going to change yeah. that number on your side. I, I think that's that's handy. Yeah. So if, well, if you're in a combat and you're going to keep shooting, you're rolling against the same target number through that into through the entire yep. episode, through the whole game. Okay. You're now your character might level up. So in another session, you might your target number might change. And if you use different skills, your target number will change. Right. But this isn't like other games where you might have to recount, you know, oh, well, you're adding plus one, you're adding one, mm -hmm. you're adding There's this, nothing like take that. away this, not changing on the fly. And your difficulty that your GM is giving you is only one to five. So right. super easy. Um, now let's go into a couple of other things to relate to this because some clever amongst you might have realized we have already said that the difficulty goes up to five and the difficulty is how many successes you have to get. But we've told you that you can only roll two dice. So how so can you get you five overcome? successes on two dice? Impossible. So the first thing in in a lot of in a lot of the systems, a one is a critical success, or there's another way of getting a critical success depending on certain kinds of skill things. Now again, this will vary, but let's assume the one. So if you roll what is a critical success, which is usually a one on a dice, it counts double. 
So there you go. How do you roll a quit of success? So now on two dice, you could, in theory, roll double one, snake eyes, and you would have four successes, mm -hmm. which is still short of how you get five difficulty. Not that I've ever done five difficulty on anything, I don't think, I have. as a GM. Not often. Well, of course you have. Not often, though. No. But Evil. you're right. You, yeah. So, so the one is a, is a critical success. Um, so how do you roll? Uh, you say, how do you roll more than one dice? How would you roll? Are yeah. you saying, how would you add to the number of dice you have? So yeah, there are ways of getting extra dice. Now we'll do a separate episode on this because all of the ways of most of the ways roll extra dice are to do with various meta currencies. Yep. One of the things that people go, oh, meta currencies and makes it really mm -hmm. complicated. But essentially, there are ways of buying up to an extra three dice. So mm -hmm. the most you can ever roll is five dice. You can never, right. there's no version of 2d20 where you can roll more than five dice. It's always when those you... basic two. And yeah, then no. there are ways of getting an extra one, two, or three extra dice. And they, they're a mixture of like talents. They are a mixture of uh, spending meta like something that's something called momentum, which we'll talk about in a separate thing. And you spend those currencies and they give you extra dice. And sometimes it's gear. It, it varies from system to system, but there are mechanics that let you get extra dice. So instead of rolling two, if you really want to succeed, you can roll three, four or five dice. Right. And this is one of the things I really like about 2D20. Yes, it makes it a bit more difficult, but in most other games, if you really need to succeed at something, you have a like a handful of things that you can spend across the whole session. And what ends up having people sit on those because they don't mm -hmm. know whether to spend or not. In 2D20, every single roll, if you want to try and have a better chance of succeeding, um, you, you can do something about it. And that means a lot of the time in 2D20, you do get a lot of success, but there's usually a cost to it. Yeah. There, yeah, so whenever you roll, when, when, when a single character is attempting a task, five is always going to be the maximum number of dice, and you would have had to spend from these currencies to get up to or use some abilities. Okay, opposed rolls. Uh, I think 2D20 does a really nice job with opposed rolls. Um, it's a little confusing, I found, for folks at first, but once you get it, it's, it's super simple. When two, let's say just like two characters are... are struggling over something like one of them's trying to hold a door shut and the other one's on the other side of the door trying to push it open. Okay. Yeah. So in a case like that, when you have direct opposition and you, it calls for an opposed roll, both characters would roll uh, against using a, a skill attribute combination that is generating a target number that the GM says is appropriate for, for both of them. It might be the exact same combination for each of them. Um, and against a difficulty number that the GM sets, which in many cases, if, if it's just a directly opposed test, like who's going to push the door open, who's going to hold it shut, they're probably going to roll against the same difficulty using the same attribute and skill combination. So they both roll. Uh, if the active character, that is the one who initiated the struggle, the opposed action, is successful and the other one fails, well, then the active one succeeds. If the active character fails and the reactive character succeeds well then depending on the system there can be certain outcomes but basically the the person who tried to push the door open doesn't push the door open if they both fail nothing happens status quo if they both succeed and this is where we we uh we, we can't go into this too deeply because that's we're going to talk about meta currencies in the next short episode but when you roll more successes than the difficulty you generate what is called momentum 
And when both opposing characters succeed, you compare the amount of momentum generated between them. And whoever generated more momentum was more successful and is therefore successful. If they tie, depending on the system, there is a way to determine this one succeeds and this one doesn't. So opposed yeah. roles I have found very simple. Uh, you, you, can, you can turn a um, combat into like a struggle uh, or you can adjudicate, uh, you know, direct opposition between things pretty easily using this. Uh, the next thing, which we'll talk about really quickly, a bit yeah. extended tasks. This is relatively straightforward. Essentially, a standard task will be something where, you know, it's either a group of people working together or it's something that's more complicated, you know, they crafted an item or something, something that isn't just a one, one and done role. Right. And essentially, this, this is going to vary depending on the system and exactly what you're trying to do. But usually what you're going to have is you're going to build up successes over time so that you're going to have a difficulty and then you're going to do multiple roles. So on your first role, you might gain, this is where momentum comes in again, useful. So on your first role, you beat the difficulty by one, so you've banked one momentum. And then on your next role, you beat the difficulty by two, so you add another two to that. And essentially, you keep stacking up all of these extra successes over a period of time. And then this, you could probably throw in things like a time limit. Oh, you've got to get this many successes against this difficulty right. in this many roles. And you have a time limit. And, you know, relatively, relatively straightforward to do that. Um, there's obviously loads of other variations we're doing this, but this is the thing where I think we'll come back and do this for individual systems mm -hmm. like this. You know, Star Trek's got a very good use of this uh, hacking things in infinity. There's, there's various things we need to come back and we'll look at this in, in future future episodes like this. But yeah, the only thing that I'll add to that is the extended task system in 2D20 systems, I think, is, is actually very well done in that you have a clear differentiation between skill tests that are one and done and those that clearly involve something that a single role, like, oh, do you build a good defensive position for the attack that you know is coming from the orcs tomorrow or something like that? Like, that doesn't seem satisfying story-wise to just say, well, I just rolled once and, and I'm, I'm done. Or you're, you're trying to narratively adjudicate, like, your party of adventurers are traveling across a swamp over a period of a couple of days. One role just doesn't seem satisfying. So extent, the extended task system does a nice job of of putting some numbers to to things that take place over some time without making it just a tedious bunch of roles. Uh, so the last thing you have on this list, and I, I think this is this is a good end piece, is complications. And you talked about critical successes a moment ago, where if you roll a one, that counts as two successes. Now on the other end of the spectrum are 20s by default. And when when someone is attempting a test and rolls a 20 on their any other dice, each 20 rolled counts as a complication. And a complication is something that, and this is really important to remember, it cannot undo success. So if you were otherwise successful on your roll and you rolled a complication, it is a, a parallel event that is a complicating factor that goes along with your success. Now, it's possible to fail and roll complications as well, but it can't undo success. Um, so by default, a 20 is a complication. And the GM can adjudicate this uh, one of two general ways, but I think the most important thing to consider here is that it's, a, it's an interesting wrinkle that can happen in a, uh, in a story. You shoot your bow, you hit the bad guy, you roll a complication, your GM says your bowstring breaks. Yeah. You, know, you run out of ammunition, your weapon jams, those things. Um, yeah. 
Much like difficulty, though, the GM can adjust the complication range depending on the situation downward. So you could adjust it to 19 or 18 or 17. And that means that number or above rolled generates a complication. So, for example, I've done this where characters are doing like land navigation through a swamp and it's dark. And so it's it's difficult, but also the likelihood of, of suffering like bigger problems if you get lost they're they're more significant when you're in a swamp and it's they're like alligators and stuff like that than if you're just like walking across an open plain so i might adjust the complication range downward so that even if you're successful you're more likely to like have the mud suck a boot off your foot or something like that so much like difficulty complication range can be adjusted by the gm to account for the, the situation I think it's worth pointing out that's very rare. I mean, most yeah. time, you, the only time that you usually see complication range used is when you're injured. So if you've got yeah. if some of the systems, if you have wounds, and often your wounds can go up to like three, four, five. Every time you have a wound, your complication range might increase. Which is why a lot of the time, sort of three wounds, and you might be done because your complication range is is quite high at that point. So it's not something you see very often. Right. Yeah, I mean, That's GMs it. are always adjusting the difficulty, but yeah, complication range is a, is a rare thing. But it is nice on the GM side that you can either make yeah. the task harder to do or increase the likelihood of something challenging happening. Yeah. Whether you you have you can work on on either end of that. I like that. Uh, and essentially, that's it. That is your basic mechanic. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are rolling mostly two, but up to five dice. You are comparing each of those dice to a target number, which you probably have on your sheet. Mm -hmm. And for every dice that meets that target number, you get a success. And you compare the number of successes you've got in total to a difficulty rating. That's it. That's, That's it. 2d20. So when people tell you that 2d20 is a horribly complicated and crunchy system, you know, some versions of it might be, but that's the basic rule. Um, it's very quick and easy to do on the, on the table. Yep. And the nice thing is that there are things that are completely owned and known by the character, by the players at all times, target numbers. The GM controls their side. So the nice thing is when the players roll, they can tell you right away, was I successful or not, or how many successes I got. Real simple. Yeah. So next time we'll be looking at the, uh, what people refer to as meta currencies, but yep. momentum essentially, like we've already talked about. All right. Excellent. And that there, there endeth the uh, first of our how-to episodes for 2D20. So thanks as always for listening to this episode. Uh, make sure to uh, like. And subscribe. And subscribe, both those things. And we would love for you to leave some comments, start a conversation uh, with us and with others. Or come and join us on our Discord. Both. The links to those are, where are you supposed to point? I don't know, down here somewhere. That's right, the links are below. That's what you're supposed to do on YouTube. So we just did that. All right, groove. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to Fluff and Crunch. You can join our Discord. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, all through the links in the show notes. Thanks again. Have a great day. We look forward to talking with you.